Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Oh, welcome back to the Spiro Avenue Show. It's been a hot cooking time around here, man. We've had a lot of stuff going on because there's a lot of stuff going on. And when times get busy, we get busy with them. And uh, we, we got a lot to get to today. It's a momentous occasion to be sure. But first, we got to remember who's keeping the lights on around here. It's not the guests. It's not Ben. It's certainly not me. It's the sponsors. Good one today. Good friend of mine today. Superior Home Lending, Michael Fick. He's the man. You're going through that home refi. If you bought those tickets to that Michigan-Ohio State game yesterday, went deep and hocked to get them at the 50-yard line. You got to pull some equity out of your house, whatever you got to do, no matter what our guest says about it from a financial perspective. Go ahead and do it. Call Michael Fick. He's the man. Superiorloans.mortgage, 616-299-9275. Highly recommend dealing with this guy. Michael's a good friend of mine. He's actually uh, quite legitimately, literally doing my home refi right now. He made fun of my high interest rate. He laughed for 10 minutes, and then he said, we got to fix it. He's doing it right now. Call him. Apply. See if you qualify. Again, that's Michael Fick, 616-299-9275, NMLS number 1159792 at nationwidelicensingsystem.org. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, it's a big one today. Michigan and Michigan State uh, wrapped their regular seasons. They were quite fantastic regular seasons. and. Uh, first, you know, foremost, I guess we'll have to say congratulations begrudgingly to Michigan. Hell of a year. I think they were legitimately the best team in the Big Ten. I think that's fair. Uh, they're going to go to Indianapolis with a chance to prove it. So um, we're not going to talk about Michigan today. It's not a Michigan show, but wanted to get that out of the way, frankly. So congrats to Michigan. We have a lot of Michigan people in our audience. So good job. Enjoy St. Elmo's. It's a blast. So what a time to have the guests today. This is a great time for this because there's press clippings of this guy all over the place. I feel like I booked one of the Kardashians on the show. Uh, he's hot right now. Let's face it. He was a legend before this week. He's an even bigger legend now, making his second appearance on the Spiro Avenue show. It's Brian Masalem. How you doing, man? I mean, what, what is... What kind of introduction is that? You don't like your introduction? No. no that, that's just, a hell of a red carpet just for a you. regular guy. Happy to be uh, here. Thank modest. you for having me. Appreciate you. Uh, it's, happy, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. It's great to have you back. The last time you were here was a little over a year ago, and it was in September. And uh, normally that would be in the middle of the season, but that was before the season because it was a COVID year. And you were the one guest, the only time uh, at that point, and it hasn't happened since, that I had my cell phone right next to me because I told you my wife could go into labor at any minute. And uh, so I said, forgive me, guys, if I get up in the middle of the show, that's why. So you came under those pretenses. You were cool with it. As it turns out, literally the next day she did go in the labor. So uh, she held on just long enough to, to get that first episode in. The framing of the show when you were here, we were right off the uh, Luke Fickle, you know, flirtation, falls through. Mel Tucker ends up coming here. And you and I, it was a Mel Tucker heavy. We talked about, you know, your work as a trustee with the NASA stuff. But the, the body of the show mostly was the Tucker thing. <laughs> and I, I think... Um, you know, where we are now, it's incredible. It feels like you were here five years ago. I mean, so much has happened. The program has come so far. I want to start with, obviously, we all know Mel Tucker extended for 10 years, 95 million famously. We'll start with just the statement. I, I see this statement from Mel Tucker come out announcing the extension, which we all knew was coming. I'm not going to read it verbatim. We'll throw it up there for the visual listeners. But 
I'm reading this just on his Twitter feed. I didn't know this part was coming. I knew the announcement was coming, but Brian Masalem makes the cut in, in the body of the, the statement. It's the mentorship and friendship of Matt Ishbia, Steve St. Andre, Brian Masalem, and Jason Strayhorn were particularly valuable during this process. It's been invaluable to him. So I, I saw that just as a friend of yours, and you know, I know how important you are up there, but I'm like, all right, Brian Masala made the cut. I, I was very happy for you. Um, and I, I think, like, when we look back at the interview that you and I did last year, um, I don't know if you're a genius, if you are just as plugged in as everyone seems to think, you, you tend to downplay it, but you nailed it last year, man. You really nailed it. I'm going to get it into your lap in a second, but I just want to look at these clips of you last year. So we talked a little bit about the waffling flake thing, and we set that up, and you were def you know, defending that, and I understood where you were coming from of like, look, we don't want a waffling flake. We want a guy who's committed. This is what your response was when I was talking about the process of looking for the next Michigan State football coach, which was clunky at first and ended up going great. So we'll start there. Well, listen, listen, Spartan Nation will appreciate we want a guy that wants to be here. I mean, we want, we want a guy that would walk here. We want a guy that looks at this job as a destination job. And I'm talking in general. That this is a destination job. This is a landing spot. This is not a stepping stone. So, yeah. the, the, you know, this, these are the corner. This is the corner. That needs to be the cornerstone of this university. While in the initial surge, people, you know, were upset. Um, I turned out to be right. That we want a guy that would walk here. And that's Mel Tucker. Well, you, you certainly look brilliant now, Brian. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he really did. You knew all along he wanted to be here, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd, I've been hearing his name for really, realistically, for three years, his name kept coming up with people randomly walking up to me, telling me Mel Tucker wants to be the next head coach here. And I'm like, what, we got, you know, Mark D'Antonio is our coach. Mark D'Antonio is our coach. Literally, I'm talking three years before we hired him. This is, this kept coming up every year now and then from somebody. And I didn't even know who he was until I started doing my own research and understanding. And then obviously when the job opened up, you know, uh, he was uh, front and center and did a really, really that's, I mean, you know, when, when I, we talk about wanting somebody that wants to be here and be, and be in a destination job, when I, I stand by what I said back then, that he would, he would have walked here. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I want to say I was on board with Mel Tucker from day one, but I can't lie because I don't delete tweets. And then unless there's a typo and then I repost them, I don't delete tweets. And, um, you know, I have one out there. That's a doozy. I mean, it was the first reports of Michigan State's interested in Mel Tucker before Luke Fickle had publicly rejected us and, and all that. I had a tweet that just said, why is Michigan State giving Mel Tucker the time of day? which is extremely embarrassing in hindsight. But in my defense, within like half a day after reading into him, I was like, oh, okay. Because I, I didn't, I just, he was the guy that was a struggling coordinator in the NFL. I remember him with the Bears, like his, that, I was in Chicago actually at the same time he was there. I lived there, like they hated him there. Like, so, and I looked at his record at Colorado, it's like five and seven. So I'm looking at like, oh, we're Michigan State. Like we're down right now, but we were in the college football playoff four years ago, you know, we can do better than that. And then when you actually dig beneath the surface, I was sort of the other way where it's like, not only do I want him here, I want him here and I'm worried that he'll leave because he's going to do too well and we're not going to back him. I mean, so I, I was kind of like you, maybe more of a naysayer, you're more of a positive guy, but I was kind of like, what the hell is with this guy? When you dig beneath the surface, it was sort of predictable. I think that it would go pretty well, although not as well maybe as we thought. I actually said in that show, which I was researching for today, 
I couldn't believe it. It was kind of funny. I actually laid out the scenario that Michigan State goes 10 and 2 in year two, and he's going to leave. Like, that was my fear. We'll play that, then we'll get into that. So, Ben, let's throw that up. My fear is good problem to have. If he has that level of success where those programs want him, that's great. I mean, that means good things are happening here. But I, I do have fear he has been a vagabond. He's never stayed anywhere for more than 10 seconds. You know, do you have any fear that you think it's a landing spot? Do you have any fear they go 10 and 2 in year two and he's just gone? I don't. I have no doubt in my mind he's here for the long run. And and there are there are there are reasons why that I know that that I I, I I'm just gonna refuse to discuss. But this is he he loves this place. Okay, so we're a year later. I love that I laid out the scenario of he goes ten and two in year two. And everyone's going to want him, which is exactly what started to happen. I mean, we laid out, I, I kind of stumbled into that. I didn't think it was going to happen, but we stumbled into this hypothetical coming true. And you were, I mean, that's a hell of a vindication for Brian Massal right there, because I laid out the exact scenario and the, the surrounding circumstances where, yes, the, the, the buzzards are flying around trying to poach him to LSU. CBS Sports had a report the other day that he actually intended to interview with LSU and was waiting for the call, and that was going to happen. I don't know if you know anything about that, but I don't know if you can speak now to a year later. You mentioned in that clip a year ago, there are reasons that you knew, look, 10 and 2 or not, like he's not going. Can you talk about that now? Do Any more background on why you were so confident? Because to me, that was in, in real time kind of crazy to think, oh, he'll, he'll definitely stay. Well, I mean, I, I knew that uh, he had a lot of, I knew that, he wanted to be here first of all for three years. He, this was his dream job. I knew that his, he's from Cleveland. He knows the Midwest very well. His dad uh, attended uh, uh, his, a game, one of his first games since 2008. So I know the roots of where he's from, where he wants to be. I know that he thinks he can, he's going to compete with Ohio state and the state of Ohio recruiting. He's going to compete with uh, Michigan and Michigan. And, you know, he, he believes that we have the resources and, and I just knew that this was a landing spot. This is a, a job that he always coveted. You were, I mean, throughout this process, because I, you know, I watch your show on Woodward Sports every Tuesday. It's, it's fantastic with, with the aforementioned Strayhorn. But you, from that appearance in September of last year, before the season started, and every time you've been asked about it since on a microphone, to you, it was, it's fine. Like, he's staying. You, you were the only one. I actually know people within the program that had some legitimate fears, people that are connected that are on Michigan State's payroll, which, you know, you're not. Like, I, I just, I, I was amazed by, uh, not, not to, you know, hype you up too much, but I was amazed how stoic you were about the whole thing. Because I, as a guy who has two commissioned pieces of art of the guy and a giant blown up uh, HD picture of him hanging in the bathroom, I, I was worried I was going to have some stuff on eBay pretty soon looking for an LSU fan to maybe, you know, poach it. Like, I, I had a lot of fears about this. Why do you think this is a destination job for him? Because he's done... The SEC thing. He's been in Bama and Georgia and LSU, uh, not, not LSU, but you know he's he's been all over. What I mean is, it just he's a Midwest guy. Is it really boiled down to that? What is it about <laughs> Michigan State specifically that he was drawn to it? Do you think? I think it, it, his Midwest roots. I think he's a GA here. <clears throat> Him uh, starting his career here, his affinity for this place. I also think uh, along the way he's uh, developed. He began. He, he understands donor relations. And uh, he was able to really strike real relations. He's not transactional. He's very relationship-oriented. So I think, obviously, those, the two gentlemen, Manishby and Steve Sanandre, had a lot to do with him staying here. Um, Mel Tucker never asked for an extension, by the way, first of all. Um, this is something that just organically came up. So just to, so we're clear. I mean, 
I never interviewed with LSU, never showed any interest to LSU, always said the same thing. This is, I have no intention of leaving. This is a destination job. So I, I mean, I had no doubt in my mind, but we, we just had to keep reaffirming with the people because anybody can throw a report out there. Right. And, uh, it gains traction and social media blows up, but, uh, he, he's he's had every intention of staying here from day one. Yeah, he's maintained that, and it, you know, it's he gets shit. I think because of the Colorado thing, which I understand. First of all, I don't know who out there on the planet who are these people that are going to be turning down someone doubling your salary. That was before this extension. <laughs> now it's quadrupled. But who's going to turn down someone doubling your salary and not just the money, but giving you more to work with. You have a nicer office. Like, I mean, the only, maybe not as nice of a view. Colorado's beautiful, but everything else was an improvement. So he, I think that was sort of one component of why people were concerned because Michigan State fans love this guy. We don't want, we want this guy to go. We want to like tie him to the chair and say, you're staying forever. I, I think that was a component of it. Another component was Nick Saban in 1999. You had a lot of parallels where, you know, he had been a coach prior, was at Toledo. But like this was his first at Michigan State relatively major job and, uh, you know, had some success early. We saw it's, there's a lot of similarities, you know, had been here prior. Uh, Tucker's at Colorado for one year, five and seven, but a lot of good momentum. And you have the same thing where it's like the same school is in the rumor mill. LSU ended up happening with Saban. I think the combination of just general paranoia, we love the guy and the Nick Saban uh, sort of correlation. There's some of the similarities instilled a panic there. What I got from you and everything I ever saw from you was this sort of quiet assurance where you weren't panicked. You knew they were going to step up. You said that Mel Tucker never approached them, which I thought was interesting. So we, the collective Michigan State, we, the power players at Michigan State, approached him. Like, how did that go? How did that sort of conversation start it? Because Mel Tucker apparently didn't start it. Maybe did his agent say something? Did Matt Ishbia call him and say, look, son, you're not leaving. We got to keep you here. We love you. Like, how did that go down? You know, let's just say that uh, a combination of a lot of things. Um, <clears throat> but, I mean, really a lot of credit goes to uh, Matt Ishbia and Steve San Andre. I mean, they built real relationships with Mel. And uh, they're not transactional in nature. They're quiet, humble. Um, he, Mel Tucker went out and got his own raise. I mean, he, you know, they're, they're not, they're giving money to Mel Tucker. I mean, they, because of the relationship that they built with him and, and the trust and the bond. And so, you know, I think really a lot of the credit goes to them. Most of the credit goes to them for really, really stepping up and, uh, and, and, and to Mel and getting into the inner workings of what and how and all that happened. It just, it wouldn't be fair to, to put it out there. But I really think that we as Spartan Nation owe a ton and a debt of gratitude to, to Matt, uh, to Ish and to Saint because they really stepped up. And one thing that Mel said to me that was very interesting, right, is that, uh, you know, and, and the, this, in his 25 years, he's never met guys like these guys, that they're no ego, right? They're not going to demand things. They're not transactional. They're not going to kick their feet up on your desk, tell you who to play, who to recruit. Uh, they're really relationship-driven. And they just, it's for the love of the school and how much they love him. And I mean, he's never met guys like that, you know, because if you think down South, I mean, let's just be honest, you know, in the SEC, the boosters run, run the show. I mean, they'll walk in your office, they'll kick their feet up on the table. They'll tell you who, who they think you should be playing, what plays you should be calling. Those two guys will never do that. Those two guys, that's not who they are. And he's just never ran across guys like that. And really a lot of credit goes to those two guys for keeping him here.
and, and making sure this thing is a long-term huge commitment, you know, that Michigan State's at the big boy table now. Yeah, I, I read some of the, and listened to some of the takes on this on a national level regarding the booster relationship. And I was actually going to ask you about that. You kind of already, you got ahead of the game. I read the take often that, <laughs> okay, look out, Michigan State. Uh, you're getting in bed with these guys now. Mitch Album actually had this article locally. It was all over nationally, That's too, the it. same opinion. But Mitch Album had this article, which I, I, I didn't realize we'd be bringing this in, or I would have had it pulled for a quote. But I was kind of flabbergasted that he's coming down from the Temple Mount. We hear from Mitch Album like once or twice a year. He has a lot of opinions about things that he doesn't pay attention to 364 days out of the year. And Mitch Album's opinion was essentially – okay, like deal with the devil, take the money, keep your coach. That's all great. But now you're beholden to the donors and you're beholden to the boosters. So if Matt Ishbia or Steve St. Andre doesn't like the play calling, he might be calling into the locker room at Spartan Stadium at halftime and saying, hey, uh, I want some more jet sweeps or whatever. I mean, that's that's, uh, not a fake thing really in the South. You said it. The SEC has a notorious reputation for these guys that go to a lot of cocktail parties. And they love nothing more than telling people over mimosas, their buddies, their other rich pals, like, hey, you know, I got, I got coach's number on my phone. And, um, you know, I was giving him, giving him an earful about that play call in the third quarter. You don't get that sense. Mitch Album is off base, at least in this case, in your opinion, right? I mean, this is going to be, there's no uh, quid pro quo. This is just, here you go. We got your back. There's no conditions attached other than maybe sideline passes. I think, I think Mitch Album lost all credibility when he uh, went out and, Defended Bo Schembechler, saying that there, uh, that that Dr. Anderson was a was a sole actor. Uh, but Mitch Album has no credibility in my eyes, quite frankly. Um, but he could, and and uh, and the proof's in the pudding with this one because he couldn't be further from the truth. Because these guys are not those kind of guys. They're not demanding you go twelve and zero, and they're not going to be in your face requesting this and wanting that and doing this, and they're not going to micromanage or ask or do any. And that's why that's where he said in my twenty five years of doing this, I've never met got real guy like really guys, guys that believe in real relationships that are not. Tra- it's just not a transaction, and that's how those two guys are. I mean, they built their companies by identifying and retracting talent, uh, attracting, keeping talent through relationships. And so this is, you know, there's a special bond with those three and coach. And then, you know, Matt's obviously a very close coach, as though you know that. But, I mean, it's, you know, th- those, those guys are all about trust, loyalty, uh, humility, um, respect. And I think, uh, you know, I think it's, it's coach building his relationship with them. I mean, they, you know, I don't, you know, those guys stepped up to the plate. And coach earned it because of the trust all three of them have built together. Yeah, the sort of cartoonish portrayal of the guy down south with the straw hat with his feet up, you know, pushing around LSU or Alabama or whatever. It just doesn't seem to apply here. I know we're biased in favor of Michigan State, obviously. Look at your surroundings, the shirt you're wearing. But I really don't get that sense. Like, I understand why uninformed people would think that because that is a real thing. I just don't think it's a real thing here. You see the articles coming out. Who is Steve St. Andre? Like, I, you know, I didn't even know who the guy was. I heard the name. I didn't really know much about him. If, if this guy's a showy look at me guy, why are we getting who is Steve St. Andre articles? Conversely, Matt Ishby obviously went public with a huge company. He's a public figure by default. But I know multiple people that know Matt Ishby. I'm not even counting you, although you'd be on the list too. No one says a bad word about him. I, one of my best friends from college works for him right now. She's like, I don't know, eighth on their org chart or something at United Wholesale, like 
VP of something, something or other. One of my best friends from college. Great girl. Like I've asked her, like, what, what's the guy like? Nicest guy ever. Like she said, he's just, he's really unassuming. Great guy. He's not a, he's not going to be calling Mel Tucker at halftime or Jay Johnson, give him an earful. So I think it, it is the perfect marriage where you have someone who genuinely loves, you know, multiple guys in this case, some people who genuinely love the program. They want to see it do well, genuinely support the coach. And they're not making these donations and boosting the program for their own profile or for their own ego, which is the case so many times, I think. They just genuinely want to see this work and throw their support behind it. And they have the means to do so. So, I mean, is that kind of a fair characterization? It, it, it is very fair. And, and they see the halo effect, right? If men's football uh, and basketball succeed, that, that all the revenue flows downhill and will help other sports and will help the university itself. And they look at it as... This is bigger than $95 million in Mel Tucker. This is, this is about MSU making a statement, sitting at the big boy table. This is about, you know, putting, you know, lights on those windows of your house and your front porch, right? The football program, the basketball program. And this is about, you know, really, really, you know, helping the university as a whole, helping the athletic department as a whole. And, and it's really, you know, changing the culture. Really... The biggest change is going to be for Michigan State and the administration because they're not used to this. This is something new at Michigan State, right, where you have donors stepping up and they're giving money. We've never seen this before, right? There's, so there's kind of been, there is a changing of the guard, so to speak, in terms of uh, donors and donor relations where you have a younger, more progressive, more active donor that's, you know, um, really more about relationships and less about transactions. And, and it's, you know, you're, it's a shift. And so it's going to be interesting to see how uh, MSU and the administration and the leadership now handle this, right? I mean, is, uh, are, are those in power uh, going to uh, worry about who has the power, if there is such a thing, right? Because there really isn't with these guys in, in general, I'm just saying. Um, but really, it's, it's really, you know, can they adapt is the main question. And, and what is there really to adapt to? That's what I keep telling everybody. Nobody's going to interfere with anything. Nobody's going to get involved. Nobody, nobody, you know, this is about their relationship with coach and that's it. It's over. Like, let's move forward and let's build this thing together. And so it'll be, um, it'll be, uh, you won't hear another word from, you know, Isher saying about this. I mean, they're, I'm, I'm just telling you that I think it's really important that, you know, these guys have recognized, right, where Michigan State can go with Mel because they see his potential. I mean, these guys, you guys are in the business of, of attracting and retaining talent, right? That's no secret. They're successful because they've invested in people their whole life. And so this, this move by them to help offer their support is nothing new. It's their, them putting their money where their mouth is because they believe every great organization is you invest in the people. So, yeah. I mean, Calvin Coward had a great clip that um, yeah, he was talking about Michigan State made the rare jump where someone's like a tier two program, you know, like Wisconsin, Michigan State has been, and they're trying to make the leap to a tier one, which, you know, he likened it to when Oregon really stepped up to the plate, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Say what you want about Oregon. Like there, I mean, you know, tier one, it's more than a one team list. Are they Alabama? No, but I think they're legitimately tier one. I mean, every year they're winning 10 games for the most part. Their resources are all there. They're incredible. They've been to the playoff. They've been on the doorstep of national titles, closer than Michigan State's gotten. Obviously, we can look at the contract on a public disclosure and say, okay, this is a big difference. This is waters we have not been in before. Other than the compensation of the coach, how do you see this manifesting? I mean, what's, 
what is different from D'Antonio because D'Antonio, and I don't mean D'Antonio the guy, I mean the D'Antonio program. D'Antonio had three top six finishes, you know, like third, fourth, and sixth, back to back to back. The program was doing really well. Like, what's the tangible difference we're going to see, not even in the on-field results, but ethos and what they do and how they do things up there? Well, I mean, I think this is a, you're, you're now embarking on a whole new era of college football. When you, when you figure in NIL, uh, you figure in uh, just recruiting, everything, how everybody stepped up their social media game, how it's an arms race. So I think you're going to see a bigger emphasis on recruiting the four and five star kid. I, I think you're going to see probably more of a more of a national landscape uh, when it comes to recruiting per se by Mel and his staff. And you know you're you're going to see uh, probably coaching salaries and recruiting budgets hopefully pushing comparable to Alabama and Georgia if you want to compete, you know, with the big dogs. But I think you're going to see a major, major emphasis on recruiting and recruiting classes, and you're going to see commitments from a lot of other states that we're normally, we're not used to seeing. Um, because of Mel and his travels over the years, and he's been at LSU, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. So he's been at places that have won, have won big, and he knows what that looks like and feels like. So you're going to begin to see that, you know, and it's um, – it's going to be fun to see uh, the transition. And, and with the portal, I mean, look what happened this year, right? Every, the over and under was four and a half wins. You just never know what with the portal, uh, what you land on and what you don't land on. So that's definitely going to speed up, you know, I, I believe our, uh, our, our development of our program. But to build depth, I think you're, I think you're three years away from consistently beating, uh, battling year in, year out with Ohio State. I mean, you have to have depth. And your front seven on defense and your offensive line, you have to you have to be able to control line of scrimmage, like Michigan did yesterday. I mean, Michigan ran the ball down their throat. I mean, it's, it's, this is that you want to sit at the big boy table on third and two on the closed end of the horseshoe when you got you know eighty one yards to go. You have to be able to run the ball, and get a first down, and 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 that's you know we're we're a few years away from that, but I think you'll begin to see that uh, take place because it's our I, I you know our our. First twenty-two, I think, can compete with pretty much anybody in the Big Ten. And, and but as you, you know, as you injuries, you saw you wear down, and you get to go through the years because everybody has injuries. I think that's where that depth comes into play. So, I think that you'll see the depth begin to develop over the years. But it's exciting times. It's a, I mean, you nailed it on the depth. I think sort of, I, I, you know, top heavy may be a little bit too hard. I think you actually said it better than I would have even thought to. Top 22, pretty solid. It's that back half. One guy goes down for a week or even for a couple of plays. Suddenly you have a guy who, look, I'm not going to name names, but there are certain guys that are just not on this team that are not legitimate Big Ten, Big Ten players. I mean, they sh- really shouldn't be playing even at like Indiana or, you know, I, I was going to say Purdue, but <laughs> after what they did to us, I'm not going to be smart. Yeah, Indiana, Purdue, hold on. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're getting better and better. Oh, uh, well, I know, yeah. but I'm just saying they're not Ohio State. Or, I mean, they haven't no. done anything Michigan State's done or Michigan's done historically. You know, they're just not that. Uh, you know, they're fine programs, but we had guys that w- would not play there and shouldn't play there, but were playing for us due to circumstance. I think going from where they were last year to 10 wins is absurd. I can't believe it happened. I, I think it, there was nothing to me fluky about it. The, you know, they they didn't have some wonky. Typically what you see with these teams that are flukish, they'll have like a plus 22 turnover differential, and it's there's some randomness to it. This team was a legitimate 10-2. and two. I mean, to me, I, the only one game that they had no chance of winning. Purdue game was not a great performance, but they're down one possession technically in, in the fourth quarter. So in that game, I just was amazed at what they were able to do. The last thing I'll say about the, the negotiation that get here, 
And I don't know how much you're going to give me on this, Brian, but I, I was told, and it was not by you, I was told that, yes, Ishbia and uh, St. Andre were the big money backers. I was told specifically Strayhorn, but mostly you, the deal doesn't get done without, it was the direct quote was, Brian getting this thing across the finish line. I'm not even going to tell you who told me that. But you were directly credited in Strayhorn as well as, uh, okay, the money was there with these two guys. You guys got it going along and got it done. Can you speak to that at all? Is there any truth to that, like what your role was? Because you were thanked in the statement. I, I mean, there, you, you know, had something none, to none, do with none, it. none of that's true. I don't, no. Those, I'm, like I said earlier, Mel built his relationship with, with those two guys. Yeah. I think my relationship with Mel, I think being named was because it, you know, I don't, I don't mince words. As you know me, I don't mince words. I yep. think I don't. I think there are a lot of things that, you know, I told Mel that normal people won't tell him, right? That were are tough things to say, and I think uh, we built a, a a trustworthy, organic relationship where he's like, all right, you know, you're, you know, that your the silence of your friends is worse than the voices of your enemies, right? And there were there were things that I think he'd be like, all right, Brian, he, he's gonna he's straight up with me, and he's gonna tell me, and just you know just navigating the whole political landscape of the school and stuff. And I think, um, you know, I was able to help there maybe, uh, but really it was more of an organic bond that all of us grew and uh, something that we built that was, was just off of trust. And it just it manifested into, I think all four of these guys, the uh, stray coach, um, St. Inish are all very similar in that they're very, um, very relationship driven. They're not transactional. And I think that's something that you don't see nowadays, you know, when it comes to deals like this, when it comes, you know, when it comes to a coach uh, staying at a school, I think, you know, I think it's because of stuff like that, that are, that, that were built on relationships, you know, really, really um, cemented the deal. Um, I don't, I, I'm, I have nothing to do with the deal. I mean, it's their money. They deserve all the credit. Um, but, but I definitely had hard conversations with coach and told him things that and probably normal people won't, won't tell him. And, and, um, you know, I think he respected that and we built a, a relationship of trust. So I think that's where that comes from more than anything, but it's, it's coach talk and those two, you know, and, and credit goes to the board of trustees, president, AD Haller, you know, everybody getting on board. And so really that's where all the credit should go. Well, you know, you mentioned the president now Rico Beard on 97.1 had reported that the deal was on the doorstep. The only thing holding it up was President Stanley, who was, you know, paraphrasing here, not comfortable with the money, which to me is absurd because it's not the school's money anyway. But there was some apprehension there. Now, you know, I, I don't know Rico well. I met him. I talked to him. I know people that know him. I actually know some of the people he's talking to where he's getting this stuff from. He didn't make it up uh, in terms of, you know, he he believed that and he was the first one to really get it out there that an extension was in the works. So I don't think he guessed right. There's some some truth into everything he's saying. Did you buy the the Stanley thing as an obstructionist? Like, what was the story behind that? <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I mean, Rico's not 100 percent wrong. Um, I mean, there's there. That was a big number. You know, 95 million is a big number. And so there, of course, there's apprehension. Are we doing the right thing? But. You know, understanding the mechanics of the university, the president can't stop anything. The board, it's up to the board. The board runs the show and he can make a recommendation. But at the end of the day, you know, the board's going to run the show. And so, no, that's not all true. You know, he wasn't upset. 
per se, but um, I mean, there was some people were, you know, were second guessing the number or just looking at it or just, just doing their fiduciary duty and their obligation and stuff that they had. So it wasn't like there was this big war internally and somebody won, not at all. It was everybody doing, meeting their fiduciary obligation, asking the right questions. Uh, there were lawyers, you know, legalese, and when lawyers get involved, things can get somewhat complicated, right? And so you want to make sure feelings don't get hurt. And um, and it's it was more of, of that than anything. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, the board of trustees runs the show, and they're the ultimate sign-off, so the president could never hold anything up, and that's not true. He was not going to hold this thing up. I heard Rico's thing live, and I immediately sent out <laughs> text messages to, you know, three or four of my contacts up there. And a uh, couple of them genuinely were like, I don't know what he's talking about, but one did actually call me, didn't even respond, called me right away and gave the same characterization you did to say, like, look, I know exactly what he's talking about. There was some exchange with Stanley, uh, but I texted or email, I can't remember. It, it's overstated, basically, that he just, he had, uh, didn't catch wind. He was informed of the numbers that were being bandied about. And he just said, it was kind of like a, whoa, like, let's look at this kind of thing. Like you said, fiduciary duty. There was not uh, any obstruction. It was more like, whoa, whoa, what are we doing here? Like, let's look at this. And that was perceived by some to be, come on, like, let's just get this done. It's not our money anyway. Like, come on, let's get moving. And he just wanted to take a look at it. I didn't, if that's true, I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, what's he, you said he's doing his duty. I don't have any problem with the guy saying, hey, hold up, like, let's take a look at this. And then signing off afterwards, although you mentioned they don't even need him to sign off. But I thought that was overstated and uh, from my conversation. So I think we are aligned there. I think we're um, just as a fan base, as an alumni base, as an administration up there, as unified as I've ever seen. I mean, really, in terms of supporting this guy, we were on board with this guy from day one, really. I mean, he's been heavily supported, but especially now with some of the results we've seen. What we haven't seen, though, is external support. <laughs> Everyone said the guy was leaving. There was a taunt, the hashtag tuck leaving. That was all over the place. You were the only one. I, I was nervous. You were the only one kind of like, uh, it's fine. But this contract, for as much as we're grateful for it and we, we're clapping for it, has been panned nationally. Now, I could have pulled 100. I mean, it, it, there's not a lot of people saying nice things about it, frankly, outside of our walls, but we pulled a couple for the national perspective. We'll get to that in a second. But first, let's put the numbers up for context. Tucker's in this top 10 list now, and not only top 10, but he's number two. So this is the highest paid coaches in college football. Saban at number one, obviously 9.75. A tick behind him, just barely. Mel Tucker, number two, nine point five million, and you know you go down the list. Ed Orgeron right behind him, unemployed. David Shaw, Stanford is fourth. Sweeney uh, Debo at Clemson is fifth. Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma. Dan Mullen also unemployed. Jimbo Fisher eighth. Kirby Smart ninth, and Ryan Day tenth. So I mean, two of the guys after Tucker aren't even employed. I mean, they're still on there because they're getting you know they were not fired for costs. They're getting their full uh, their full ride out of there, but. You're in the heavy, deep water here, uh, to use the Michigan State pun. And this was a panned thing. This was not a contract that people were amused by. So we pulled a couple. I mean, this is, this is sort of interesting. Now, granted, these two guys have been kind of negative about Michigan State uh, generally, especially the second one. But this is Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports calling the Mel Tucker extension an overpay. This is a direct quote. Quote, Michigan State is taking a huge risk overpaying for Mel Tucker, and he is overpaid. Even the man himself must admit that. Those rich boosters who are funding this contract will expect championships. Michigan State can no longer hide his little brother in quaint East Lansing, Michigan, 
this kind of money trumpets excellence. Now, through the body of that, he had the sort of Mitch Album insinuation in the rest of his article that we didn't pull that these boosters are going to have strings attached, and if they're not winning national championships by year three, Ishby is going to be on Stanley's lawn with a picket sign. But, you know, anyway, we'll move on to the next one. This is Dan Wilkin, who, by the way, called Michigan State a bottom three team in Power Five going into this season. That, that worked out well. Quote, this extension is entirely absurd. The optics of the loss to Ohio State turned out to be terrible for Michigan State. Getting exposed so badly by the Big Ten's best team does raise a legitimate long-term concern for any middle-class type of program. Is paying $9.5 million a year for a coach that won't sniff a national title really worth it? So this was a representative pair of examples. This is the feeling out there nationally. It's the feeling out there from other fan bases. There was not a lot of people saying, oh, great job, Mel Tucker, nationally, except Colin Coward. Colin Coward's the only one that said he loved the move. Everybody else was pushing back on this, calling Michigan State a middle-class program, which is kind of, to me, insane. I mean, I, they're not Alabama, but middle-class? I mean, isn't middle-class like 130 Power 5 teams? Middle-class, you're talking about like 50th best program? That's just insanity, historically and even you know recent history. What do you make of this? Why are these people wrong to say that Mel Tucker is overpaid? Why, why do you have no problem with the number? Because I know you don't. We've spoken. I don't, I don't have a problem with the number because I think because he'll get $10 million in NFL all day long. He'll get $10 million in SEC all day long in, the, in this market. And uh, considering there's only two African-American head coaches in the NFL, he'll get 10, 10 a year all day long. Uh, so I, I don't, I mean, I don't have a problem with I think the number itself um, the message itself is bigger than the number. I think it shows that we have the resources here. We have donors here that are willing to, to put their money where their mouth is and that we have uh, uh, more than enough capability here to win championships that this is a destination job. So I think it's the message that, that, that it sends more than anything. Again, when you go from, you know, quote unquote, tier two to tier one, you got haters and people pushing back. And when you pay somebody 9.5 million, you're going to have, you know, you're seeing a shift in uh, anytime there's a shift in power, anytime there's a movement of some sort, anytime somebody makes a play like that, you know, you're going to have naysayers. So you just got to keep chopping. Right. And you got to keep doing what you believe in. And this is what they believe in. You know, so I um, a lot of credit goes to Mel and those two donors and the board, the president, the AD, um, you know, specific trustees who really pushed, you know, were. I got to give credit to Arima Vassar, who uh, was very, very instrumental in this. You look at Dan Kelly was instrumental in this. Um, uh, you know, Kelly T. Bay, Renee Kanaki weighed in. Like there's a, there's a, you know, there's a lot of um, people that were involved that thought this was the right thing to do. So, you know, you block the outside noise and you just move on. But uh, I have no doubt, you know, you get, you get, you know, imagine the message it sends to recruiting. I mean, because recruiting is a lifeline, right? You look at the message that it sent. You got all these kids right now, four and five star kids even sitting on the fence waiting to see what happens. You got LSU, USC, Florida open, right? With, with really, if you look at the candidates out there, who are you going to go after? Um, there's got, you got three mega jobs coming open. So, um, you know, perceived mega jobs. And so what, tell me a better play that Michigan State could have had in this situation. You know, now you lock up 
who I, I believe is, you know, his attention to detail, his organization, his recruiting, the way he runs practices, you know, he's learned at the best, been with the best, coached with the best, taught by the best. Uh, and, I, you know, I've been his, his, uh, his uh, emphasis on recruiting, I think you're going to see a, a difference, you know, over the years to come. So I think, I think, I honestly think within three to four years, we'll be, we'll be saying this is a bargain. That may be. I mean, if he just delivers at that watch, level. Watch, just when we're competing at that level, year in, year out, with Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, just year in and year out, I'm talking. You're going to look at this deal, and you're going to say it's a bargain. And I think we've gotten close even before all this. People seem to forget this. I, I don't Like outside of the walls of the East Lansing uh, sort of prism. Like 2013. I could make a very legitimate argument that that team was a national championship team. They got, and look, I, I don't like doing the ref thing, but they got completely hosed in Notre Dame to the point where Mike Pereira, the NFL <laughs> former executive, was chiming in on Twitter saying how egregious it was. But despite that, 13-1 and one, in the college football playoff system, they would have been there. Best defense in the country and a very good offense. Like, I just, you know, they were there. 14, you know, finished fifth or sixth overall in the country. 15 went to the college football playoffs. So we were already on the doorstep of this stuff before, before this massive commitment. I think you don't need as big of a push as it even seems to get there. Tucker, even when he was at Colorado, but especially here, talked openly about, look, I, with his recruiting philosophy, he doesn't want the sort of, he didn't say Tantonio guys, but the, you know, undersized, you know, squirrely two-star kid that's hungry. He wants the big guys, and the reason he said that is because I watch the TV every year, and I see Alabama on there, or he was on the sidelines. I see the kind of guys that make it. He has no intention of being uh, this cute 9-10 win Big Ten program that does well and maybe shows up in Indy every third or fourth year. Like He wants to win at the biggest level. I think that's where he thinks it's going to land uh, ultimately. And it's not as big of a build maybe as they think. I, you know, you're, What he's done this year is – been such a statement. And you, you, had, you had an interesting tweet um, last night. I was laughing because Michigan State has this huge flu outbreak and, and half the team's throwing up in buckets all week. <laughs> it's pretty bad up there by all accounts. And you see the line in Vegas start to go more and more towards Penn State to the point, you know, Penn State's a favorite because half the team is either injured or throwing up in a mop bucket. And, uh, you know, you're responding to an Adam Rittenberg tweet about the, the flu issues and all the flu issues they had going into the game and all the money you look at, like Action Network is starting to pile it on Penn State because Michigan State, who's already banged up, who's Heisman uh, containing running backs banged up and their second best receivers out and all, you know, Crouch didn't play their best linebacker and you know, all these injuries, half the team is sick. And, uh, you know, your tweet is great here. It said this tweet about the flu issues may have bankrupted half of America, go green victory for MSU because of this money's piling in on Penn State. The adversity this guy's overcome, where they're learning the entire playbook on Zoom and win two games last year that they had no business winning on paper. Uh, what they've done this year, coming in at four and a half, they end up winning 10. That is the ultimate, I think, testament to, to Mel Tucker and what he can do and what's to a certain extent already done. He's going to squeeze the most out of that rock. And if, if he's doing 10 wins with all these disadvantages, Really, only one year into the program, uh, you know, injuries, flu issues, all this stuff going on. What is he going to do when it's really humming in year three, four, and five? I mean, is, do you kind of buy what I'm selling here? I think it's we're so we're so impressed with what we've seen. Seems like they're just getting started. Oh yeah, we got a long way to go. I mean, you know, you you caught lightning in the bottle with K nine. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, 
not going to say take a step back, but, you know, he lose him is a huge, huge deal next year. So um, kids play for him, man. They play hard for him. I mean, you could just tell. There's no, they, they, they have, they are, and I, and I don't mean this, I hate to call them kids, disrespect them, these men. Um, they're, they've bought into everything that he said, right, about uh, to keep chopping, playing hard. And they're just, they're, they don't flinch. I mean, they really don't flinch. And as bad a drubbing as that was in Columbus, to come off of that and to be ready to play in that weather with so many injuries, you know, whatever the reports were, a flu-like symptoms, you know, and he refuses to make any excuses for the program. And they came out and gave, a, gave that effort yesterday, especially the defense. I think they gave up seven points second half. Really speaks to the culture that he's building. It's the culture and the mindset is that you're these next man up. You know, these young men believe we're, we're next man up and if I'm a starter now and it's my job to do, to do that. And so I think, um, you know, that last night, Yesterday was was probably is about a biggest statement as he's ever made here yet so far in terms of program win. That was a program win. There's no question. I agree. And you know, Penn State for whatever you think of them, and a couple of their games, Clifford was hurt uh, or barely functioning. Are they great? No, but that you know, if, if they don't have everything go wrong for them this year, that's that's a nine or ten win team this year. I mean, they got real guys. They got NFL guys all over on both sides. And, you know, that that was a good win, given the circumstances. I mean, and really, it was a double-digit win. I mean, you had the backdoor crazy, you know, 4th to 24 to make it, you know, semi-interesting. But they kind of took it to Penn State. They did, second half. They did yeah. especially. I just I was so impressed by the response and just what it looked like. Uh, you know, again, half the team is sick. I can't imagine being out there playing with the flu in a blizzard. It's playing a good team. You know, you just got your teeth kicked in the week prior. You're not technically playing for, you know, any tangible thing. I mean, a better bowl, but I mean, you're not playing a win. We get into the playoff or the into Indianapolis. I thought it was such a statement win. And, and you said program. And I think that was a good way to put it. I, I just, I have a lot of faith in where this thing is going. I'm, I'm bullish on them. I think it is, you know, you sort of insinuated. It's important for us to keep some perspective. These things are never, almost never linear. This team could be seven and five, eight and four next year. And there are going to be people out there, if it happens, that say, oh, like the overpay, all this. I'm in it for the long haul, Brian. I mean, that's where I'm at. I, I believe in what they're doing. I don't think you're going to be in this, okay, they won 10 games this year. I'm going to predict 11 and one and then 12 and 0. And then, yeah, I, I don't think, it, when does it ever work that way? It just doesn't. That's not how sports works, certainly not in college. But I think this team will win if Mel Tucker stays a national championship or come very close, be in the game. They're in the fourth quarter tied or down three late or whatever. I think they're going to be at that level ultimately. Brian Massam, in 10 years, can you tell me? You think Michigan State is on the doorstep of winning a national title, either win one or they're tied in the fourth quarter of the championship game. Do you see them ascending to that height? With, with Mel Tucker as a head coach, we will win. He will become the first African-American head coach to win a national championship, and he will do it at Michigan State. That was the, at Michigan State. He'll do it at Michigan State. I absolutely believe at, you could do it at it, LSU. And it will, it will, it, it's fitting, right? Because MSU was the first school to integrate African-American athletes. And so it's in my in my opinion, it's it's only fitting that this thing comes full circle, and that he wins a national title here. And so I do believe within ten years 
He'll win a national title. Oh, you sat there in that same exact chair at that same desk here confidently a year ago and said, yeah, they could go 10 and 2. I said, fine. He's not leaving. Like, we're in it. We're going we're gonna to keep him. We'll do what we need to keep him. He wants to be here. And I, people kind of mocked you for that a little bit. I mean, maybe it didn't catch your ear, but they, they mocked you to me. Like, you know, come on. Like, if he goes 10 and 2, he's gone. We saw those buzzards swarming. So you confidently hit that one out of the park and barely blinked when you did it. So, I mean, when you say that, I think that was some weight that you see where this thing is going. Let me, because if you're going to make that type of commitment to the coach, then you have to make that type of commitment to the coaching pool. And you have to make that type of commitment for resources for recruiting uh, and uh, for um, facilities, which we have, which, you know, uh, Ish was the first one to kick that off. And so, you know, this all goes together, and if this, I, I actually have no doubt in my mind, we will, he will win a title. That's just incredible. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, I grew up, you know, you're a little older, you were on the team. You know, I grew up, Michigan State was, let's go 7-5. and five. It'll be fun if we have, like, a really good position player, Plaxico Burris or Charles Rogers or whomever, TJ Duckett, like, one cool guy to root for, one or two cool guys to root for, win seven games, and like maybe we'll beat Michigan. That's what I grew up in when I actually got to Michigan State. Was I came in right when D'Antonio came in, so I was like, he and I showed up at Michigan State together. Actually, like I I got into Michigan State and started there at D'Antonio's first year. So that that was better, but we still haven't been at the national championship level. You got to get back into the sixties. Like, to, are we going back to the mid sixties? That's kind of what you're thinking. I mean, that'd be incredible. I you know I said it. Top six finishes three years in a row. Arguably the best team in the country in 2013. They finished second in the country that year before all this other stuff happened, before all these other resources were in place. So it's not that absurd. You're taking one step more than you did. They were in the playoff in 15. One step more than the playground you've been on for half a decade, just not too long ago. So I I buy it. I think it could get there. It's going to be big and incumbent on the people like Ishbia and St. Andre, who've done enough already. No, no pressure on them. But I think everyone has to stay on board. You had a great tweet. We'll kind of wrap there. with, with uh, Right after the extensions announced, you had this uh, great time last night with uh, Atman Ishbia and St. We missed you last night, Jason Strayhorn. I only wish they would pick up the tab for once. A great picture of you and uh, St. Andre and, and Ishbia. I think, you know, with, with this kind of stuff in place, I think we're positioned to get there. Um, I love the ethos of the program. I love the no excuses stuff. I love that Mel Tucker is pressed after the Purdue loss. Some questionable calls there. Hey, what'd you make of this call? They didn't review the Jaden Reed drop. He just doesn't want to hear it. I think sort of all hands are on deck here. You think they're going to get it done within 10 years with Mel Tucker here. I, I think this is the happiest we can possibly be with where we're at going right now. Uh, you know, Michigan's kind of back. I mean, you got to say they're back. I, for as bad as they looked last year, they've been down for a while relative to their expectations. They're back. Ohio State never left. You know, Penn State is all hands on deck too, whatever you think of them. So we, we're sitting at the big boy table, though. It's going to take a lot, but I think we can get there. I, I genuinely do. You look, uh, Michigan, uh, one thing they've done well is they've built in the trenches, and that's how they were able. I actually thought they matched up much better with Ohio State than we did. And, yeah. I, and I thought we matched up much better with, against Michigan uh, because they're, they're, they were not, you know, they don't have the athletes on the outside like Ohio State. They don't throw the ball down the field like Ohio State does. So I actually, you know, playing against Michigan, I figured, I, you know, looking at maybe, maybe where we were disadvantaged in the trenches in some areas, I felt like our skill guys were, were better. 
or faster. Um, and, and it looked to be that way when you watch the game. So, uh, but when I, when I watched Michigan line up against Ohio State, I said their O-line's better and their front seven is better than Ohio State's O-line. And if they put pressure and just keep running the ball, they, they'll, they'll keep this game close. And that's what they did yesterday. I mean, they ran it right down their throat. So I think that's how you got to beat Ohio State. You got to build in the trenches and we'll get there. We'll get there. No, they know exactly. Mel Tucker looked at that running back room from last year when he, <laughs> he said, we got to go fix this. And he went and got Walker and Joyner. And, I mean, he was going after everybody to fix that. I think you're going to see something similar with the secondary this year. I, I, we'll wrap on this one point with Scotty Hazleton. I, I want it on the record on microphone. It's on record in print a hundred times. I've, I've been the biggest defender of Scotty Hazleton. This idea that anybody in Spartan Nation is calling for the firing of a <laughs> really anybody at this point to be preposterous. I, I like, please, people. Scotty Hazleton has a very good track record. Overnight, took a Big Twelve defense in Kansas State. I mean, overnight they were bad. Overnight they were the best defense in that conference. Now. Big 12 is a little shaky on defense, but massive improvement. It was really good at Buffalo. The personnel, I just don't think they have the guys right now to be a very good defense, but I like just trust the process. I mean, come on. Look at, I, Mel knows what he's doing. I, I have the ultimate faith, I think, with what we've seen so far. Just leave everybody alone right now. Like, I can't believe we're calling for firings now. I mean, that's kind of absurd, is it not? People oh, are wanting oh, yeah. Hazleton fired already? Yeah, I mean, you you got let's let's let Mel coach leave yeah. it to Scotty coach. I mean he's an outstanding coach and, I, and there's an outstanding staff they put together so that, uh, we'll leave it up to the experts I, I'm with you I'm, I'm all for questioning stuff but not not on this timeline that's absurd uh, and I, I think Hazleton's a good coach I think he'll be fine it'll be like when everyone was trying to run Narduzzi out of town in 09 and everyone kind of looked dumb in hindsight but all right we'll wrap there Brian man I know you're a busy guy I have to get to a Christmas photo shoot myself so I gotta go get uh, all dressed up and my kids are going to see Santa Claus and <laughs> Uh, you know, I know you're, uh, you know, you're putting out pictures with, you know, billionaires. Uh, I'm hanging out with Ben later. So that's, that's you know, we all, we all have different uh, circles no, I'm, of friends. I'm, uh, I'm just a regular guy going to uh, hang out with my kids and yeah. we're just blessed. I'm blessed to have such good friends and, you know, I'm just blessed to be around a, a bunch of loyal, humble, uh, got good people. We got the university. There's some good people around the university that really care and, and, but you know, relationships are relationships. You have to build real relationships if you really want to see this stuff through. So. Um, I'm just happy where we're at and uh, on the basketball here. We'll see where the ball goes. And Coach Izzo's teams, is, uh, they seem to be getting better. So maybe ah. we'll, we'll do that one day. Yeah, on ranks coming in. It looked pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, oh, the, yeah. the Baylor thing, like the final score was 18. The team was down like two buckets in late in the second half. Yeah, <laughs> like that's yeah. one of those where like you were in there the whole game. You were leading at halftime. I think like they're fine. They'll Baylor, be fine. Yeah, Baylor's great. I'm not saying national title this year for Michigan State, but they're a good team. And, uh, you know, Izzo. Izzo's the, the guest that I, I just can't get. He's like impossible, but I've been working hard. I'm working on next carry, so we'll keep grinding on next until he gets it done for me. But, uh, you know, I'll wrap just saying I don't care how humble you are and how much you downplay this stuff. I think you are a key figure up there. You can deny it. You can shrug. You can say you're a normal guy. But, uh, you know, your work as a trustee up there when you were up there speaks for itself. We talked about that last time. So I'll say what I said to you last year. As a Spartan, someone that cares about this program, the optics of it, the reputation, the integrity of it, and also wants to see us do all well on the field, you check both boxes. You've had a, a pivotal role. Even you can't downplay your role as a trustee with the Nasser investigation and how that was becoming transparent because of your work. Uh, so I'll just say thank you for your contributions, and uh, we're lucky to have you in Spartan Nation, Brian, seriously. I, I'm, I don't 
just regular, do everybody does what they can. We'll be, everybody does what they can to help the school. We'll all be fine. Okay. So thank you very much for saying that. And, uh, I just, just try to do what, what I can do to help. So I yeah. appreciate that. Uh, we're lucky to have you. It's our pleasure. So thank you thank to you. Ben Augusta, the great and powerful eyes on the other side of the library wall here. Brian has forgiven our dust. We're still like in, in flux here with our renovation. The shelves are kind of bare and it's kind of like Jim Harbaugh's trophy case. Um, <laughs> you know, although oh, I gotta be careful. He's one game away from putting something in there. It's getting kind of dusty, but uh, yeah, Brian tolerated our dust. We got a lot of stuff coming down the, down the pike here. Our next show coming up this week on Wednesday will be Seth Ferranti, who this guy has nothing to do with sports. He's got a Netflix documentary out. He's a producer. He was a famous fugitive. He was on the lamb for a couple of years. Uh, he's now become a filmmaker and a, a speaker and national figure guy out of Boston. Um, I, I can't wait to talk to this guy about being a fugitive on the FBI's most wanted list for two years. He was uh, on the run. Interesting. That'll be an interesting one. Mm. So we we I reached out to Seth. Uh, he was on CNN talking about that Brian Laundry case with Gabby Petito down in Florida. And uh, I just thought he was a fascinating guy. A part of me secretly was hoping Laundry would still be on the run for a couple more weeks uh, to, to have Seth in under that context. But that'll be this week. Fascinating guy. And uh, our pre-show interview was just fascinating. This guy will blow your, blow your hair back with, with his stories and his connections and uh, what it's like to you know, be going to CVS Pharmacy when the whole world is looking for you. And can't wait to talk to him. Uh, Eric Williamson, who's definitely not uh, in his boxers on his couch, probably rolling around with his kids now. It's the middle of the day on a Sunday as we're doing this live. Thank you to Eric and thank you to the audience. It's been maybe not linear growth for football teams across America, but it's been linear growth here. We're onward and upward. I think we passed the 3K mark with subscribers. We're giving away an awesome, fantastic, giant picture of Mel Tucker and Mark D'Antonio. Check me out at Darko State News for that. That's going to be coming out any minute. How to win that. Uh, again, thank you to Brian Massam, former MSU trustee, president of a wonderful financial company. You're based in Birmingham, I think, right, Brian? Yes, sir. Uh, Spartan Wealth. Uh, it's just uh, an incredible pleasure to have you. Happy to have you back. Anytime I can book you, I know you're in high demand. but uh, No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Don't check listen us, to them. Just check out our podcast Tuesday night, straight and at eight o'clock on Woodward Sports. You will see me in the chat most nights. By the way, if, yeah. you, if you're on the YouTube chat, I'll we're be. Have you on? Yeah, we're you keep it. saying that, but uh, yeah, I'm waiting for that invitation. I haven't met Strayhorn, and I have a lot of respect for Jason. I, I'm a, oh, he's a hoot. I'm a fan of him. I, he's he's just a great Spartan. He's just great, a, great. Guy. Another guy I'm happy that he's salt in our of the earth. Everybody loves him. Oh, he's the best. Just like you. I never hear no, a bad word no, about no, either. No, no, yeah. He is loved. And a lot more than I am. Uh, I hear nothing but good things about both of you. But yeah, happy to do your show anytime in person, Zoom in, whatever. Uh, you know, I always got big opinions and I'm happy to hog the mic. But I'd love uh, to have you. I'll let you get back to your to your family. Brian, I'm going to go see Santa Claus with my good. kids. Spiro Avenue Show. Justin Spiro, we'll see you in a few days. Thanks, guys. Thank you.